offer prayer, and we're going to start on this First John passage where we all think we should start in the Psalms. Um, let's pray together. Lord, your word's not mine. Um, I noticed when I listened at the, on the screen in the service in the gym uh, that I misspoke something earlier today, and I don't want to do that again. Um, Lord, join us, bless us, and be blessed in and by our worship. Lord, help my memory stay and my, and my mind stay sharp so that with your timber, with your demeanor, with your cadence, with your passion, with your love for your people, I communicate what your message is for us today, not what my message is for them. Lord, we need you. We pray that your word goes out and does not return void, but accomplishes that which you sent it to do. We pray these things in Jesus' name, through the power of your spirit, for the glory of God, our Father. Amen. Um, Psalm 37.4 says this. This won't be up on the screen. It says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, we're going to be talking about obedience today, because that's what John in 1 John talks about. If you love G Jesus says in John 14, 15, if you love me, you'll obey what I command. John says over and over and over and over and over and over again, if you do not obey his commands, you don't love him. And one of his commands is to love other people. So if we don't love him, if we're not loving other people, we're not loving him. So here's the thing that we don't always get. We hear obey because it sounds like a, a man who's married to a woman and the man's kind of a harsh man and his wife's not doing what he wants. So he, obedience, you need to obey me, you know, the headship of the, of the marriage. And, you know, he wouldn't have to do that if he was loving her the way God instructed him to love her, so there wouldn't be this sense of, you must do what I tell you. It would be out of delight that husband and wife serve one another. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, here's a little Hebrew lesson. The Psalms were written originally in Hebrew, and um, I, I don't know why I do that. I always, I'm very self-conscious right now. I always back away when I'm going to give a grammar lesson. You ever notice that? Okay. So, Hebrew is an ancient language, biblical Hebrew is an ancient language. It does not have vowels, and its grammar is both very simple and very complicated. It's complicated to translate because the, the grammar um, makes it such that, that words can mean, they can modify other things. For example, in Genesis chapter 22, when Abraham is going to sacrifice Isaac, it says sometime later God tested Abraham. I think there was a test for Isaac in there as well. But when they're walking up the, the mountain, Isaac says to his dad, hey, dad, I see the fire and the knife, but I don't see the lamb. Hmm. Smart kid. And his dad says, the Lord himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Now, we don't know if that means the Lord himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, and it is my son, son, or if it's a kid, God's got this. We don't know. Same thing here. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. I believe it means both, but it can mean either if you delight yourself in the Lord, whatever your heart desires, he will grant your wish, so to speak. Or if you delight yourself in the Lord... Your desires will be given, his desires will be given to your heart. So you will end up desiring the same thing God does. Now in John, in 1 John 3 that we're reading today, that, that passage, it tells you to ask anything in the name of the Lord and it will be given to you. Same idea. If we delight ourselves in the Lord, wouldn't it make sense that as we delight in God, the more we delight in him, the more we want the same things he wants? 
So does he give you the desires that your heart already has? Or does he place new desires on your heart? If we're delighting in the Lord, our desires will be like his, so there's really no difference. But I want you to remember when we hear these words that obedience and delight are married. Obey is not the intention that John has. Obey is the intention the Lord that John has in 1 John. It reads like this. Actually, no, I've got to give you another way of, of getting your head around it. Years and years ago, I mean, this, is, this might be pre-automobile, I don't know, but there was a small farming town, and a man, everyone found out about this one church in the town, so this, that's how small it was, one main street, and the church was on it. Um, a man, a, a farmer who had a teenage son, um, wife, and, but he broke his leg. He broke his leg severely and was not going to be able to. It was right in the middle of the summer when you've got you've to tend to your crops. You've got to make sure the irrigation is working. You've got to make sure that, that the pests are, 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 are you know, pushed away. And, and you've got to make sure that the crops are tended. And if you can't give that six or seven weeks in the middle of the summer, your harvest is not going to be good. And it might not sustain you through the winter. So this man breaks his leg. The whole town knows it. And so the pastor calls the church together to pray for this family. And they're praying, and they're praying fervently. But one kid shows up. Now, this guy that had the teenage son, his teenage son's kind of sickly, so he wasn't doing very well either. So it really didn't look good for this family. And so as this man is convalescing in his own home, there's a knock on the door of their, of their little farmhouse. And the sickly son answers the door, and there's another young man standing there. It's a southern story, so I'll say it like he did. My daddy couldn't make it to the prayer meeting, so he just sent his prayers here. And there was a cart, a wagon, like the kind that you see on the old westerns, not the stagecoach, but with the buckboard on it and all the stuff, supplies behind it. And it was absolutely full of salted venison, of flour, of corn, and vegetables, both canned and fresh. So the people gathered and loved this family with prayers and words. And another person loved this family with prayers and deeds. He provided provision for the family. It's different. It's one thing for me to say, I love you, and I'll pray for you. It's a different thing to say to you, I love you, and if you have a need, I meet it. And then pray that God will multiply it. That's what John's getting at in here. So I want you to hear those words of not him condemning us, but him saying, delight yourself in the Lord, and you'll want to do what the Lord has done for you. It reads like this. This is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain. Most, most of you would know that story, but Cain and Abel, Adam and Eve's sons, they, one of them was hard at heart, and the other was generous and loved the Lord. And Cain killed his brother Abel. This was a big thing in the early church. They were trying to figure out what it was. Well, it was sin, but so that's what John is referring to here. Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his, act, his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possession and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? 
dear children. So it's friends, it's brothers, and it's children. These are terms of endearment. Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. This then is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence whenever our hearts condemn us. I'll get back to that one in a minute. For God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we, because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. Those who obey his commands live in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know, we know it by the spirit that he gave us. Now, this is very repetitive. It's kind of like when, you're, when I was in fourth grade, Mrs. Eddy was my fourth grade teacher, and she taught us how to do, it was long division back then in fourth grade, and, and she taught us how to do long division, and then she taught us how to do long division, and then she taught us how to do long division, and then we wrote it out and didn't do it right, and then she corrected us and taught us how to do long division. Why would she teach us so many times? Because it takes a while for us to grasp it. Some people would say that if you do and hear and learn something seven times, you might actually, you might actually be able to, to grasp onto it and retain it. Now, we, have the, we won't talk about brain drain that happens in the summer when kids aren't in school, but evidently John thinks that it's 47 times. How many times does John say in 1 John, love your brother, love God? And if you love God, you'll love your brother. If you don't love your brother, you're not loving God. And this is how you know whether or not you love Jesus is whether or not you love people. So if, if I hate my brother, I hate God. He says that in 1 John 4. He says that anyone that claims to have the love of God but hates his brother is a liar. Here he says that if I hate my brother, I'm a murderer. I don't know about you, but when I face the, when I face the Lord, the one who died for me, the one who did everything, was unbelievably full of grace and mercy toward me. When I face him, the last thing in the world, when I face judgment, the last thing in the world I want for him to do is to look at me and go, you're a killer. But boy, are there people that I just... Course. Now, this heart condemning piece, this says, it says here, this is then is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence whenever our hearts condemn us. John is very well aware that there is sin in the world. Sin is just missing the mark. Anything that's not perfected, that is not the perfection of God, not the perfection of Christ, is sin. So when, we, when I'm selfish, when I'm angry unjustifiably, when, I'm, when, I, when I have even wicked thoughts or lustful thoughts, that's sin, that, 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 that destroys. We t- we're here in the scripture, I mean, John knows the scriptures, that, that, that all have sinned and fall short of God's glory, and the wages, what I earn from my sin is death, eternal separation from God. He knows that that's there, but he also knows that there's an accuser, he talks about earlier in this chapter, he talks about the devil himself. He talks about the, the one who prowls around like a, a, a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. There's an accuser who wants to remind you of who you were, not who you are. 
2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us that if someone is in Christ, he's a whole new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. And, but the accuser wants to remind us of what we've done wrong. The accuser wants to, to, to remind us in, in, of my memory and, and, and how, how wicked or selfish or self-centered I have been. And even in the moment. But, but so in, in my own heart wants to remind me that, man, I just, if, I, if the Lord came back today, I'm, oh, I'm just going to be ashamed. And he says that God's bigger than our hearts. There is no need to fear if you are in Christ. How do you know if you're in Christ? You do what he says. You don't do what he says. You do what he says. Think about it. If you love, I mean, and I'm not talking like, like the person that, you'd, that, that at, the, at the middle school dance that you were hoping would, would dance with you, not that kind of love. I mean, someone that you were willing to die for, someone that you would cross the sea, someone that, 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 that you would do crazy kind of insane things. I mean, I drove one time 20 or 12 hours through the night or into the night, into midnight to, to see Lynn with her family on her birthday only to, and to, to get two hours of sleep only to leave at midnight the next night to drive through the night with no headlights to get back to Chicago because I had a fundraiser I had to go to. That is insane. Who does that? Anyone who loves someone. It's, it's, but if you have that kind of passion toward anybody, it, like a parent looking at their newborn child, I remember committing to my daughter, she was our firstborn, and looking at her and going, I will do anything for you. I'm not sure I'll ever say no to you. If you love someone like that, don't you want to serve them? Don't you want to, if asked or not, to sacrifice for them? Don't you want to, to do, find out what they love and do that? Don't you want to do for another what would be meaningful and loving to them? That's what love is. And don't you think that God, when he looks at us and he says, I know what you need, and I'm willing to do, I'm willing to meet you where you are, meet the needs you have, transform your life, and die so you don't have to. I'm willing to suffer so you don't have to. That's the, that's the desire, the love that God has for us. And that's the same kind of love that we have for other people, people that we truly love. And so if you truly love someone and they ask something of you, do you go, oh, I can't believe I have to do that. That's obedience with a tyrant. But if someone you love dearly asks something of you, oh, thanks for letting me know. How can I help? That's, that's, that's delight. The result is the same, obedience, delight. You do the same thing, but your attitude is different. Now remember what was going on in John's church. You had the people that had this special enlightenment. They thought that the Spirit had given them special knowledge and that the only thing that mattered is how they think, what they say, and not how they behave. And they looked down at the people that had a more... more mean potatoes view of scripture and life in Christ. And so they kind of, they were patronizing toward them. They kind of looked down to them. 
These people who see the scripture more like most of us do and see our life in Christ more like most of us do, but they're so distraught and so angry and so frustrated with their brothers that are trying to lead them astray that they're condemning them, that they're isolating themselves from them, and they're casting them out of fellowship instead of reaching out a hand and trying to pull them back together. So in the name of Jesus, they're hating their brothers, In the name of special enlightenment, they're looking down upon, placing themselves like God over another, their brothers. And John is saying, you can't love Jesus and behave that way. But we do. Think of the person right now, back of your head, that every time they say something, it might be a newscaster. It might be someone that you're friends with on Facebook. That every time you see a post or every time you hear them or when you run to them and they say, hey, I got a question for you, that you're like, oh, we all got one. Their political views might be different than yours. Their theological views might be different than yours. They might be an atheist who just wants to make you mad because you believe in Jesus and they want to call you foolish. How do you behave toward them? Do you isolate yourself from them? Do you take offense? So here's my question. What if God behaved toward you the way you behave toward or think about that person? What if Jesus said, you know what? I've had enough. Enough with you people. You don't agree with my politics. You don't agree with my theology. You certainly won't ever do what I have to say. So you know what? Done. Go to hell. Now that's kind of harsh. But John is saying that if God behaves toward us with mercy and grace, how do we know if we truly adore Christ? By how we treat others that he's created and that he's especially fond of. And that's everyone. Sometimes we get caught up in this, this, this tangle of lies about God and his boundaries and obedience. And we think, God, you know, these boundaries, it's just so, God needs to catch up with the times. One of these days, he's going to realize that that this is okay, and this is okay, and how can we judge someone else? I get it, I do. But I want you to know that God's motive in, in, in putting up boundaries and asking us to live within his commands is not to protect you from, or not to deny you pleasure, but to protect you from pain. There's a guy, G.K. Chesterton, that says this, meaninglessness does not come from growing weary of pain. Meaninglessness comes from growing weary of pleasure. Our world seeks pleasure, seeks self, and and, and believes that the end-all, be-all is to do what I want, when I want, then I will be satisfied, satiated, feel full, like after a good Thanksgiving meal. But you read Solomon and Ecclesiastes and the Proverbs, and you find out that, and you, you see it all, you see famous people, actors, multi-billionaires, you see them, they, they, they spend all their life trying to get to the top of the mountain because they want to they have everything, and they get there, and they realize that there's nothing there. Solomon goes so far as to say, everything is meaningless under the sun. How did Solomon arrive at that? He denied himself Nothing. So when God puts boundaries up, when he gives commands and says, do this, don't do that, 
It's because he knows that if we pursue only what we want and we ask everyone else to do only what we want them to do, then we end up hollow, more hollow than we were before we started pursuing it. If we love with words, we're not really loving. I love everyone. Love the, hate the sin, love the sinner. We get, I, we've heard it. Here's one. I'm going to get in big trouble here. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. When something happens in France or Belgium, London, Detroit, L.A., Austin, Texas, Missouri, Boston, Zealand. And you want, let's just use France. When that, that terrorist attack took place in France, everyone puts the French flag over their profile picture. I'm loving them. No, you're not. You're not. You might be identifying with them, but many of our motives I'm afraid that the people who have told me what is supposed to be important won't think highly of me unless I do this. That is fear of man, not fear of God. And if I hashtag something and put a thumbs up on something, I'm not helping someone or loving someone. I'm not saying you shouldn't identify with people that are in pain. I'm not. But loving with words and tongue is different than, than having an impact on the people with whom you can have an impact. When you drive down the road and someone's stuck and you pray for them, okay. But if you drive down the road and they're stuck and you stop, you're not praying for them with words. You're becoming the answer to the prayer you would have uttered. So how do you treat the person who's despicable? How do you treat the person who is marginalized? How do you treat the person that has betrayed you? Are they created by God in his image? Yes. Okay. So how should you treat them? With dignity and respect. But what if they, what if they, what if they don't appreciate it? Parents, this has happened to you. Sometimes, somewhere, some way, you've gone out of your way to do something for your children. It might have cost you money. It might have cost you time. But you, 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 you get ready and, and, and you, you do something for them. And then every now and then, one or both of them or all three of them or all five of them or however, it could happen with grandkids, they say this. No thanks, Dad. No thanks, Mom. If you get offended... then you're not really loving them. Sacrifice. No, you didn't. You didn't sacrifice. You you did something so that they would give you a claim. That's not sacrifice. That's not love. That's behaving in a loving way so that others will show you love. If If I'm in the hospital and someone comes to me and they want me to make them feel good about them coming to make me feel good, they didn't come to make me feel good. See how perverted we can get it? How, how sinful we can be, our hearts can condemn us. But we can have the confidence that the one who loves us more than anybody else loves the person that you don't like very much, as much as he loves you. 
And he says to us, if you love me, you'll delight in the things that I delight in. If you love me, I will give you new desires. If you love me, you'll know it by how you treat other people. Who are those other people? People that Jesus loves. He loves them. Even if they hate you. John tells us right here, don't be surprised when the world hates you. Why would we be surprised by that? We've gone from death to life. We've gone from the old to the new. We've been transformed by the Holy Spirit. And now there's something else that happens through us. If I delight in what Jesus has done for me, to me, shouldn't I delight with what he wants to do through me? Of course. Now, this might feel hyperbolic. Big word, I know. When Jesus says, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. I don't see a lot of you one-armed people walking around. I got close on mine, evidently. <laughs> that was a van accident. Um, if your right eye causes you to, to sin, gouge it out. That's hyperbole. That's, that's a big statement to say how serious he is. John is not being that way with this book. John is saying the same thing that's been said from the very beginning of time. Love the Lord your God with everything you have. Love your neighbors, you love yourself. The Ten Commandments that were given after the, the Israelites escaped from Egypt and they, he, Moses goes up the mountain and God brings down, here's how I want you to live. Love God, number one, two, and three. Take a break from creation and give creation a break from you, number four. Number five through ten, don't treat people badly. Love God, love others. It's vertical and horizontal. It goes on and on and on and on throughout the scriptures. God has not changed his mind, has not changed his message. It's an old covenant and a new message. But the new message is the same. It's just different because Jesus actually showed us how it should be. His prophet said, God said through one of his prophets, hey man, Adam, Adam, earthling, one of the dirt. Hey, everyone, do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. God has never been kidding with this stuff. John is not being hyperbolic. If I do for others so that others do for me, give me a claim or give me thanks or don't offend me, then I gain nothing. But if I do for others what Christ did for me, then I get love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. If I love another, then I love God. So how I treat others is how I treat God. That's not new news. Jesus says, what you have done for the least of these, you have done for me. And what you have not done for the least of these, you have not done for me. Lord, when? When? Well, when I was hungry, when I was starving. Every time we do anything, we do it in the name of Jesus. And there is nothing worse than doing something bad in God's name. So I pray and I hope that we will be a people who say, yes, Lord, 
I will love what you love. I will love whom you love. And I will behave the way you behave toward me. He's not offended. He doesn't give up. He's not impatient. And he doesn't condemn. Anyone that's condemned chooses condemnation. If you don't want to choose it, if you've been saved, then I want you to know you've been saved, but you're in the present and ongoing state of having been saved. You're going to be saved again tomorrow, and the next day, the next day, and the next day. He loves you just the way you are, but he's not done with you. And he's not done with you tomorrow. He's not done with you the next day. He's not done with you the next year. He's not done with you. Not until you're in glory, and you will be perfect as he is perfect. But not until then is he done. So don't let your heart condemn you, but do, as far as it depends on you, love God by loving others, and as you love others, you are indeed loving God. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Ask anything in his name, and it will be given to you, as you obey what Christ has commanded. Nothing new, but brand new. Let's pray. Almighty God, let us, let us be a people who delight ourselves in you by delighting in the delight you have for other people. Lord, there are people that just seem so angry at us and so angry at you. Help us love them to show them dignity and respect, to listen and to love and to serve. We pray these things in the name of Jesus who gave his life for us through the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, for the glory of God the Father, the creator of all. Amen. Those of you who made profession of faith, I look forward to hearing and seeing how God destroys your life in a glorious way, but he will destroy your life because we have to die to self in order to love him truly. So I cannot wait to hear and to see what he does through you. And for those of you who had your children baptized, God will fight with you for them, for their souls, for their spirits, for their persons, for their personality, for their safety, all of those things. And we look forward to the day when we can say to them, we look forward to watching how God's going to destroy their lives in a glorious way. Thank you for being faithful parents, for grandparents, for all of you who willingly make commitments to these people, these children, and these young men and women as they follow after Christ. The Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine on you, be gracious to you, the Lord turned his countenance toward you. That's a look on God's face. God is smiling at you, and he wants to give you peace. And all of God's people say, amen. Go with and in the peace of Christ.